0: Everybody. my name is Pete Finn and I'm a lecturer in politics at King's University and this is the Covid-19 and Democracy podcast on the podcast this week um, which has been recorded on the 25th of October 2021 we are returning to a topic that we looked at back in the early spring and has evolved significantly since then and it's involved an election and much politicking in between and that is the um events in the political scene in California over in the States and specifically the recall election which was um, held in order to decide whether the governor Gavin Newsom should be kept in office or not and returning to the podcast to discuss this with me again is um, Jeffrey Cummings who is a professor in political science at Fresno Fresno State University over in California. So Jeff, thanks again for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Pete. I'm I'm happy to be here.
0: Brilliant. Um, And so Jeff has very recently wrote a piece on this topic for a series that I run, co-run for, or co-curate, I should say, that's the term we go with, for the LSE US Center um, titled, in its recent recall election, Republicans underestimated how much California has turned into a one-party state, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Jeff has also published widely on California politics. Um, so before we dive into the details of this election in the last few months, Jeff, can you just briefly explain the California recall system for those who might not have come across it before?
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. Um... So in California, ever since 1911, when it was first put in place, um, we have a recall uh, tool, I guess you'd you'd call it, where any state or local elected official can be removed from office in between regular elections. And in order to do that, you have to, the proponents of the of the recall have to file a petition with the appropriate uh, administrator, state administrator, and then they have to go out and get a certain number of signatures from voters in order to qualify that for the ballot. And so that number is twelve percent. In, in the case of the governor, it's twelve percent of the vote, votes cast in the last election for governor. And so for this year's recall, that ended up totaling 1.5 million signatures that the proponents needed to, um, to gather in order to qualify it for the ballot. And so it's um, this is only the, the second recall in California of a governor that we've had, it, just of an election at, at all. The other one was in 2003, which gained international attention when uh, the incumbent at the time, Democrat Gray Davis was recalled, removed from office and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger replaced him. Um, So it's very rare in, in statewide office like that for governor. And it's the same across the country in other states that have this process. It's very rare. It's much more common at our local level though. So we have local school boards, elected officials on our school boards and for our local city councils and recalls are pretty common at that level, uh, particularly in really small uh, jurisdictions where the population is not very much and it doesn't take many signatures to qualify it for the ballot. Um, but in this case, it's just another, it was another rare time when uh, voters in California had a chance to decide whether or not they wanted to keep the incumbent governor.
0: Okay, brilliant, Very, really well summarized. Um, you should be an academic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, and regular listeners might re- recall that the last time we did a podcast on this, I went with the Arnie reference, Total Recall. Which,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: <laughs> which I, uh, we were in the middle of a lockdown in the UK, so I needed a bit of a light-hearted title. <laughs> um, so, um and so how exactly did this um, come about? It was... So, the Arnie one, if I recall, that was um, there was the dot com boom, and there was, uh, which led to a budget crisis in California. And then this one was am I right in thinking that actually California was in a surplus money wise? And so this wasn't to do with the budget per se.
1: No. So, we were actually, in fact, you know, just before the pandemic, our state budget was in really good shape. And I think, we had a a record surplus in our budget. So that definitely contrasts with what happened in 2003. We had a a budget crisis. We also had an electricity crisis back then. And we had rolling blackouts where different parts of the state lost their electricity for certain times. So it was a different situation then. Um, This time around though, uh, so our, our state budget was doing fine. There were a couple of recall petitions that were filed to remove Gavin Newsom, and they failed very early early on. In fact, the um, supporters filed these, you know, almost as soon as Gavin Newsom was elected into office in 2018, and then he took office in in early 2019, and so they just they filed them right away in an attempt to to get rid of them. Those failed, they didn't get the signatures and then they started another uh, recall petition. Um, And so that was a little bit before the pandemic then the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown and they were trying to gather signatures and they were running out of time because you only have a certain amount of time in order to collect those signatures to qualify it. And so they went to court, the, the recall petitioners went to court and they asked to extend the time because they were running into problems trying to get these signatures given the social distancing requirements and other sort of, of uh, lockdown measures that were in place. There wasn't, you know, definitely as much contact as you would normally have. Uh, in the absence of the pan- of the pandemic, and so a judge allowed them an extra—I think it was four or five months—to collect these signatures, and so it was really that extra time uh, that allowed the recall petitioners to to get enough signatures. So they got the time, and then the other the other important component of that, just as it was in two thousand and three, with the recall of of Gray Davis. They also got an infusion of funding to help um, pay for signature gatherers. So in California, you can pay uh, these different firms to go out and, and get these signatures of voters in order to qualify petitions for the ballot. And so they'll, they'll pay them a couple of dollars per signature. You know, in, in some cases, um not necessarily on, on recall but when we have initiatives which are you know uk has referendums when we have initiatives in, in california um they'll pay up to six dollars you know per signature depending on that particular initiative well, um, so you
0: just get like say a student someone who's yeah. in need of money <laughs> please they just go around the whole family
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You
0: got a big family. It's like a couple of hundred bucks.
1: Yep. Um, now I mean that those that's kind of the more extreme measure, but it's more on average, maybe two dollars or so a signature around there. And so then these paid signature gatherers are at the the supermarket or you know, a a place where everybody's uh gathered and they'll they'll badger and, and bother people until they get their signatures. And so that money came in, in this effort as well. And when you get that, it's, it's really the only time that you qualify these measures, recalls, or initiatives for the ballot is when you have that money to get paid signatures. And so that's what they had. Um, they also, you know, they had that extended time. And then there was, because of kind of Gavin Newsom's um, approach to the pandemic, he had, we had locked down the state, then we had eased up, and then we kind of locked down again. Um, there was, you know, more uh, resentment and, and uh, angst about those lockdowns. And so that kind of stirred up the enthusiasm, too. Um, and so they were, they were, the backers, recall backers were able to get enough signatures and, and qualify it for the ballot.
0: Oh, so interesting. So was it, just to return to the, like the professional signature gatherers, so was it just for like a few months, uh, like a general part of life in California was, if you went to the library, there'd be someone outside trying to collect signatures. If you went for a meal, like a strip mall, there might be some people walking up and down.
1: So I can actually tell you from my own personal experience, just going to my local supermarket, there was... A person at a table who was gathering signatures, I think early in 2019, and that lasted up until, you know, through 2020, <laughs> uh, early 2021, there was almost so, somebody there every single weekend uh, trying to get signatures for, wow. for the recall petition. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of happens all over the state. Um, now I, partic- I live in, a, in, I wouldn't say it's a more, cons- well, it's more conservative, but it's, it's really more uh, balanced between Republicans and Democrats. It's really kind of a swing area. Um, and so there's probably, probably more enthusiasm here uh, among Republicans than there are in other parts of the state. But still this, this goes on you know, throughout the state Um, because you have to get signatures from throughout the state.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Well, that is, yeah, I mean, so in the UK, we have loads of discussions about, I don't know if it's made out across across the pond, discussions about Brexit and this famous bus that was like three, got you know, like, they were basically playing with figures. Um, It seems like a similarly, uh, like this, uh, something that could feed into the discussions around it for a long time, this professional signature collecting. (laughs)
1: yeah yeah
0: um okay so what were the results of the the ballot so of of the recall election what what happened
1: yeah so um just in terms of the uh the the process of how it works there's two questions on the ballot the first question asks whether asked voters whether or not they want to remove the governor and then the second question is, if the governor is removed, who do you support to replace the governor? And so we actually just within the last day or two, got the official certified results. And so on the first question about removal, um, voters, it was a, it was about 62% of voters said no to the recall. Um, so that's a, you know, pretty overwhelming majority that were against uh the recall um and one of the interesting kind of notes on that figure is it's almost exactly the same percentage that Gavin Newsom got when he was originally elected in 2018
0: um so no one voted any different
1: (laughs) yeah kind of yeah you could you could say that pretty much but it was almost exactly the same in fact, in, interestingly, um, there were slightly more people who voted for him in the recall election than they did when he originally ran for governor in 2018. So it's it's very consistent across both of these elections.
0: Okay, so actually, the, the all it did was make more people vote for uh, vote for the vote for which is
1: uh, yeah, which is not what Republicans had anticipated. No. And then, yeah, and then on the second question, the replacement question, um, the, the, the winner of that, you know, if it were, it's no longer relevant, of course, once the, you vote to keep the incumbent governor, but the winner of that uh, election was the primary Republican candidate, a guy by the name of Larry Elder, who was um, uh, a Trump supporter and came out against um, the, the vaccine mandates and the masking mandates and so on. Um, and so he won, but actually in the, on that second question, the number of people, number of voters who voted on that second question, almost dropped by half compared to the number that voted on the first question, right? So you once you move from that first question, to the second question, it was mainly Republicans who were um, filling in that that uh, part of the, part of the ballot.
0: Wow, I mean that's a yeah. huge um, yeah that, yeah okay well that that that's a massive difference, isn't it? Um, okay, and so turning to Larry Elder, um, was, it, was Newsom lucky to have him as an opponent opponent in that he perhaps wasn't necessarily the best candidate?
1: Yeah, so um, if we kind of go back earlier into the campaign, um, the early polls were showing that uh, there was majority support to keep Newsom in office. Um, And then when we get into about July, the polls uh, were running a bit more even. Um, There was probably slightly still more support to keep him, Um, but it was getting close. And so when it starts getting close, the outcome is, is uncertain. And there was one poll in particular um, by a survey firm called Survey USA, which came out with a poll that said that um, a slight majority of voters were going to support the recall and remove him. Um, and so that kind of lit a fire under the Newsom campaign and under Democrats. Um, that combined with the other polls that were kind of showing it closer to even. And so I think at that point, (laughs) all the focus of Democrats and their supporters and funders, they really turned it up a notch. Um, And then Larry Elder emerged on the scene as the top Republican candidate. And that, that put a face to the recall effort and allowed the Democrats and Newsom to, to target um, their ads um, and to kind of um, put some fear into voters that you know if, if we don't retain Newsom, that you're gonna get Larry Elder and he's going to take us back towards what we experienced under the Trump administration. So um, thereafter, this is probably early July, it's after July and into August, then it starts trending towards Newsom and the polls start showing more support for Newsom. I mentioned that one poll by Survey USA that had a slight majority for uh, Newsom. It, it's interesting because the firm actually came out and said that that poll was not done correctly. I don't know if it's correctly, it's probably not the, the right phrasing, but not done well because they kind of phrased the question in a way that made it seem that, that biased the question towards recalling Newsom, And so they issued an apology saying that because of the wording of that question, their survey result was probably not that accurate. But at the same time, that also, um, you know, stirred up uh, new enthusiasm for, for Newsom. Uh, and the Democrats and and helped kind of spark them and get them going, which maybe in the absence of that inaccurate poll, they might not have taken it as seriously.
0: Okay, great. Um, so very interesting. Um, turning to kind of not, I guess, sort of beyond just Larry Elder um, and thinking about the Republican approach in the recall um, before. And I guess, I mean, you can take this as you, whether you want to go all the way back to when they were just basically throwing balls against the wall to see if one of them stuck or the last few months. Is, did the Republicans adopt a flawed strategy or is it just that perhaps Californian politics is so um, skewed towards the Democrats that um, it would be hard for them in a, in a way that maybe Texas or at least Texas used to be <laughs> skewed towards the Republicans that maybe it was always likely to fail?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's a good question. I mean, I was actually thinking of, is there a winning strategy that the Republicans could actually take on? And I'm not sure there is because of what you mentioned and how dominant the Democrats have become in the state. So they had anticipated that if we have this recall election, that the composition of the electorate would be different. Um, Because kind of historically, in our general or regular elections, the um, composition composition of the electorate uh, leans definitely more democratic, and increasingly so in recent years. But in uh, our primary elections, which are not our general elections, and in any special elections that we have, the, um, the voters tend to be more conservative and Republican. And I think that the Republicans were hoping um, and maybe anticipating that that's what would happen in this recall election. The problem with that is that um, in, there's been some research on recall elections and actually recall elections tend to have pretty high turnout. And so, when you get that high turnout in our state, that tends to favor Democrats. And so, I think, you know that that um, thinking that the electorate would favor them um, was just wrong um, from the beginning. The other part of it is that um, the Republican Party in California. Um, I would probably say somewhat unlike the national Republican party here in the United States is more fractured. So you have um, a Trump insurgency in the California Republican party here. So they've pretty much have taken over the Republican party as well. And, and some of the, um, what I call the old school Republicans um, there, they've left the party or they disassociate themselves from the party. And so it's really this the Trump insurgency that has taken it over, and they're kind of um, driving the bus on these types in the recall election and, and on other issues on, on how to approach elections and so on. Um, and so the 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 strategy that, that that they took as well was that they would focus on newsom's um, pandemic policies and the lockdowns, and they thought there was widespread, um, opposition to, um, vaccine mandates and to the masking mandates. And, um, it just wasn't the case in the end. Uh, the results in the exit polls showed that over 60% of voters, um, approved of what Newsom was doing, uh, in his response which is roughly, as I mentioned earlier, what the results of the election were. So um, I kind of took this as just an indicator that the Republicans, and this is really where our political system has gone here in the United States is we tend to be very insulated in terms of who we associate with. So we don't get a lot of um, cross party discussions uh, in society in general. Right, Most people are associated with Democrats, most people are associated with Republicans, and the two are not talking to one another. So when you get a situation like that and Republicans are complaining about Newsom's lockdown policies amongst themselves, and they're getting that um, affirmation from the other people that they're talking to, well, it's really just um, isolated to that Republican population that it's so uh, opposed to what Newsom does. If they talked to other people outside their political circles, they might have had a better idea that um, uh, it was actually a higher percentage of the public who supported what Newsom was doing. Okay, um, and so yeah, just
0: thinking while you were talking there about the schism within the Republican Party, would it, so on a national level with like the kind of traditional Republicans that you refer to, would they be what would represented by people now say like Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, um, the kind of uh, uh, Collins, those, those kind of people, is that who, and then against, who would be set against the kind of Trumpian elements over the last yep.
1: five years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we refer to them as, you know, centrist Republicans, but they're, they're a dying breed. There's very few of them left. And then even for the ones that are left, um, they're not very vocal anymore because if they go against kind of what Trump and Trump supporters want, then they're essentially shouted down and they're targeted by Trump supporters. Um, And so they've become much less vocal. And, And in fact, some of the Republicans who voted and supported impeachment uh, for Trump and who voted for um, doing an investigation into the January 6th Capitol riot and those sorts, a few of them have are, have decided not to run again um, because they don't want to deal with the um, the backlash from the from the Trump supporters. Um,
0: okay, so in t- turning back to the recall system, is it? Is it likely to stay in place? Um, is it likely to stay in place, maybe with some tweaks here and there?
1: Yeah. So um, once the the outcome outcome became certain, um, Democrats in particular, uh, elected officials, uh, started talking about the need for changing our recall system. Um, they thought, or at least you know, the the supporters of of changing our recall system, thought that it was too easy to get this recall on the ballot. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment because as we discussed- It wasn't a million signatures. It was a million and a half signatures. But again, the the only reason that they were able to qualify it and get those signatures was the extension of the timeline that the judge gave them. And so, in fact, I, I believe in the court um, when the when the judge was listening to the petitioners' um, arguments for extending it, they said they confessed that you know we're we're not going to have the signatures unless we get this extension. And so, we've only had, as we talked about, two um, recall. Uh, Gubernatorial recalls come to the ballot in the last 110 years. And to me, that doesn't really speak to uh, a process that happens very frequently. Um, you know, so hopefully we don't have pandemics in the future, and you'd be in that position where they might want to extend it. But setting all that aside, the Democrats are moving forward. There's a couple of um, uh, state uh, investigative bodies that are moving forward with hearings to discuss how they can, they can tweak it. Now, there's no discussion, abs- uh, absolutely no discussion of getting ri- rid of the, the ability to recall um, elected officials in California. So that's completely off the table. Um, in a recent uh, survey of, of Californians, over 70% want to keep the recall. So that's completely off the table. Um, but what is on the table is uh, the procedures for qualifying a recall for the ballot. So how many signatures do we need to get in order to qualify it for the ballot? Um, the California threshold is considered to be um, a pretty low barrier compared to, to other states. So I mentioned earlier that there were that we have, you have to get 12% of the votes cast in the last election for that office. And so there's discussion about moving that percentage up, uh, perhaps 20% or you know 25%, um, so that's being discussed. Um, the other piece of it is, addresses that second question that we talked about that was on the ballot about um, how do you replace a governor when they've been removed from office. And so in the two recall elections that we've had, we've gotten a really long list of candidates because to, be, to put your name on the ballot as a candidate, um, you, you just have to pay a few thousand dollars and get a, a, a few signatures and you get on the ballot in the 2003 recall, there were over a hundred candidates on the ballot. This one had less, I think it was about half of that this time around, Um, but there's talk about um, doing something different on that second question. Uh, One proposal would simply be to have the Lieutenant Governor uh, replace the governor if the governor is recalled. So we have a Lieutenant Governor who, if something happens to the governor, killed, whatever, they're incapacitated. And actually, if they just leave the state, if the governor leaves the state, the lieutenant governor is te- technically the person in charge. Um, and uh, so that would just apply in this instance. If they were recalled, there's a little bit less of majority support for that. So I'm not sure how far that one's going to go. Um, but one of the, one of the things, uh, the interesting points that was pointed out during the run-up to the recall election was the possibility that you could, on that first question, get more votes to keep a governor and have them removed. And then on the second question, you could get a successor who received less votes than the governor got in support. And so some, there's some um, law professors that are making the argument that, you know, that's it's undemocratic, you know, to have a, a, a replacement have less votes than the vote to keep the governor. I'm not sure I agree with that either, but it just kind of presents a situation where you have a replacement candidate who does not have um, a very high percentage of support from voters um, to replace them. So.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and just politically, right, you could see even if, if that was to be the case, that person would, presumably, their un, authority would be undermined, right? You wouldn't want to be, well, all right, you'd probably, anyone would take being governor of California under pretty much any circumstances. But, um, you know, if you were then to deal with state-level politicians, deal with senators from the state, Deal with other national politicians, everyone would be aware that your authority was
1: um, to a certain extent undermined, like it would just be. Calm. Yeah, it would be undermined. And in fact, w- I, what came out during this discussion was that let's just say that Larry Elder, the top Republican candidate, were to replace Gavin Newsom in this instance, he, w- he would not have much power because the legislature. Is two-thirds Democrats, and so they could override any vetoes that the governor issued on legislation if they wanted to, um, and they wouldn't support his appointees. And so it would, you'd you'd have a um, a pretty impotent replacement governor in there, given the uh, the balance of power between the legislative and executive branch.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and just before we wrap up, um, can you know? So we've already touched on the fact that California is particularly Democrat in the way that, um, I mean, I mean, I suppose maybe New York, but in general, states aren't that that Democrat or that Republican. Um, yeah. So could events of the last couple of months in California be read as having any significance, maybe for the midterms next year, or are they? Do they just reflect the particulars of The way California was governed.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's kind of the um, the big question that comes out of this election, Uh, and it's hard to say. I mean, I think we in the U.S. place too much emphasis on these bellwether elections, Um, and there's only one or two that happen in between our regular elections, and we try and read into them quite a bit. We have some upcoming uh gubernatorial elections in in two other states and so that's another um very small number of, of elections that we look to as indicators and i'm not sure it you know always tells us that that much but you know having said that it i would say on the one hand um i think as i mentioned before the republicans thought that this would be their one shot at possibly putting a Republican back in the governor's seat. And it completely backfired and, you know, overwhelmingly showed how much democratic support there is in the state. Um, And the other thing that I question is, we're not sure where the pandemic is gonna be in another year. Uh, You know, it's so hard to predict these things. It's, you know, trending downward Um, in the United States. And I I, I hesitate to even ponder whether it will fall off the agenda by next fall. You know, if we continue in this direction, it's gonna be other issues that maybe take the place, take its place. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see whether Republicans going into next fall's elections, um, focus on the democratic response to the pandemic, and the fact that, uh, in the case of the president Joe Biden, who's issued these vaccine mandates um, for various uh, groups, and so on, um, if they will, ha- if they, if they see that as a winning issue in next year's elections, uh, you probably have heard that. Um, In Congress, they're debating these, a couple of big spending bills. One is on infrastructure that would put about a trillion dollars into infrastructure nationwide, roads and bridges and um, all of that, that kind of stuff. And then there's another big uh, spending package on social policy that would go towards um, college loans and family income support, Uh, there's a big chunk in there that would address climate change. So that's another um, question mark that's out there. It'll be interesting to see um, how that gets handled in next year's elections. I could see where if Democrats end up passing these two big spending bills, which it looks like they're going to eventually, although they're gonna be significantly trimmed down from what they were originally proposed at, um, how much that resonates with voters. You know, I I would imagine Democrats would go into those elections talking about what we've done with these two spending packages um, and if the pandemic has subsided and, um, you know, we're continuing to trend down and it's very low um, uh, infection rates and so on, that... The election will most likely turn on the economy, I would think. Um, I know, for instance, in the, in the UK, you're having um, worker shortages and we're, you know, we're having similar types of problems here. Um, inflation is on the minds of a lot of people. Um, and I think probably by fall, I could see the election turning on that and that the, if there's continuing continuing high inflation and the economy is not growing as we would like, that Republicans would probably turn on that issue and hammer away on Democrats on that. And so if that's the case in this recall election will just be an afterthought.
0: Okay, brilliant. Um, yeah in the u k we yeah, it's a big issue, actually work shortages um and it's hard to tease out like how much is brexit, how much is um pandemic, if not necessarily a direct cause, but like tangent like more people left during the pandemic maybe than would have stayed if, even after brexit if the pandemic hadn't happened. it's it's like an endless uh, debate that we have here yeah and <laughs> likely to go on um for for years to come, I would think. um well, Jeff, was there any other final points that you wanted to make? Before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, I look forward to having you on, back on again in the future.
1: Yeah, great, Pete. I, I'd love to be back.